This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Neverland Tea Salon. Would you like to have your adventure now? Or would you like to have your tea first? Plan your tea adventure today at NeverlandTeaSalon.com. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Furminger. And today I welcome filmmaker John Silverberg and some actor guy you may have heard of called Richard Dickey Harmon to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm kidding, by the way. Richard Harmon is one of the best and nicest actors in the biz. I put respect on his name. Anyway. I told you to put respect on my name. (laughs) All right, Dickey, settle down. So anyway, (laughs) Dickey and John are here today to talk about Woodland. 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 Why am I stumbling over this word? It's not a hard word. Okay. Woodland. Woodland? Oh my god, John, help me out here. You're gonna find it. (laughs) Call it what you want as long as you watch it. I'm happy. Woodland. Uh, I've watched it three times. uh, Oh, you're the best. Uh, I I say, I say Woodland. Just rolls off the tongue. Woodland. Clearly it doesn't. Oh my gosh. Okay, I gotta move on. Gotta move on. (laughs) Woodland is an atmospheric and terrifying thriller about a down-and-out photographer named Jake, played by Dickie, who is haunted by bad decisions and addiction and who takes a job at a winter lodge up in a secluded part of Haida Gwaii. I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who would want to spend time alone with Richard Harmon on an island in a lodge at the edge of the world... This movie might make you revisit that because Jake continues to be haunted by, well, something because he's seen the future. Is it the future? In the photos he develops in the creepiest dark room ever. Jake's employer is Sparky, a kind-hearted roughneck played by the inimitable. See, I can say inimitable and not (laughs) Woodland. That was perfectly executed. Uh, Oh, sorry. By the inimitable Philip Granger. Woodland is set in 1989, an era before digital photography and mobile phones, which, I mean, would have totally changed the story. Uh, And it is currently available for purchase and rental on iTunes. So today, we're going to talk about the whys and the hows and the what the actual fucks of this chilling thriller. Richard Dickey Harmon, John Silverberg, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you for having us. Happy to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Uh, before we get into... What a beautiful introduction. <sighs> you always have a good introduction. It's downhill from here. <laughs> That's how I'm feeling right this now. This is such yeah. a give and take relationship, Richard. I love it. Um, before we go on uh, to talk about Woodland, um, I've been asking everybody uh, who I've been conducting these interviews with over Skype... Um, I, from my heart, how are you doing? 
We're in a pandemic. Yeah, if you're listening to this far in the future, when context. yeah, when there's yeah, no vaccine and thing. or when there is a vaccine and everything is amazing again, uh, we are currently uh, in the dark days before the brightest morn. Yeah. <laughs> John, Go ahead. why don't you take it first? Uh, sure. Well, uh, I, I, I'm I'm doing pretty good. I can't I can't complain. There's a lot of people out there that are are having a tougher time than I am, I think. Um, you know, I've been uh, still in a little bit of a fantasy world because I've been getting our film uh, completed and, and out the door. Um, I've also got a two-year-old running around at home. Uh, he actually oh. turns two tomorrow. Uh, so he's been keeping us quite busy <laughs> and distracted <laughs> from everything. Uh, so at first, I think I was reading a bit too much uh, of the news, like like everybody else. Oh, and don't since, do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Do so scrolling then, on the Twitter. Yeah, don't do it. I, been focusing my time on on our little boy and uh, and getting this this film out there and uh, you know we were creating a new trailer and our poster and all those marketing materials so I was trying to uh, yeah stay focused on that and not necessarily on on the headlines. Okay, and BT Dub, I totally want a poster to hang in my office. Um, what about you, Dicky? How you doing? I I understand that you are uh, been spending a lot of the core on an Animal Crossing island, much like myself. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I've been spending a lot of time on my Animal Crossing island, and I've been spending about the equal amount of time on on a, on golf courses. That's been my COVID thing: is just do socially distant golfing. Uh, oh, I haven't awesome. improved my game much, but uh, <laughs> I'm happy to be out there in nature. Yeah. Obviously, not today. It's raining. <laughs> so raining in but nature I'm, on I'm, an I'm island. Good. I mean, it's beautiful on my island when it's raining. <laughs> yeah it's it's been good though I, you know i can't complain you got to take care of yourself you know and i mean obviously try to take care of others but it's a, it's an odd time we're living in and you gotta you gotta make sure you get a little uh r and r a little time for yourself as well yeah absolutely that is very good advice richard um and i have yeah. to say that part of my self-care has been Watching films and series that were shot in the before times. As good as any other thing to do. Yeah, Perfect. Absolutely. And this film, um, this film, you know, which I have, I've watched three times uh, before the core and then this morning. But it's, it is, I think, a perfect film for this particular moment in history um it's escapist uh it's a beautiful takes place in a beautiful part of the world where we're not allowed to go right now because of the pandemic uh and it features some great writing and pretty great pretty decent acting that's how i would describe it myself (laughs) (laughs) okay let's go to the island then let's talk about woodland what john i'm gonna start with you because i'm assuming that this started with you Unfortunately. Um, yeah. Talk to me about lightning striking and like, what was it about this? You know, where did this story come from? What was it about this story that made you want to dis- dedicate years of your life to bringing it to the screen? If I'd known how many years, I don't know if I would have made the decision, but, but no, uh, this, this film has been kind of uh, brewing in my mind for a long time. Um, you know, I grew up on Vancouver Island where we actually shot the film, uh, oh. And I grew up playing in the woods. I loved uh, the woods were so, you know, so beautiful, so mysterious. And, uh, you know, I used to be kind of shooting films in my head uh, the whole time growing up. So I feel like everything I've ever 
uh, written and you know my short films and everything that I've done in the past that always has an element of uh, of the wilderness and kind of isolation um, and uh, or it's you know entirely set uh, in the wilderness so like woodland I think we we have maybe a, a half a dozen scenes indoors it seems like everything is is outdoors which they tell you not to do uh, in film school but uh, I'm just attracted to the to the landscape um, and the other thing was kind of marrying that with another idea, which is I grew up um, always having a dark room in my house. My dad was a photographer. He used to develop his own uh, prints in the dark room. And I even remember it was like a grade one science fair project I did on how I can develop my own prints because I was so into it mm -hmm. uh, for some reason. Uh, I just thought it was so cool, the process of it, the fact that you would have this blank piece of paper and you would just put it in these chemicals and this image, the story would kind of magically present itself. And uh, also just the aesthetics of it, the smell, uh, which Richard remembers very clearly when we filmed those darkroom scenes. But I love the strong, like vinegary smell from the film chemicals. That's what it smells like? Richard, is that how you would describe it? It's vinegar? It a, it's a vinegary smell for sure. Yeah, it smells amazing. And uh, <laughs> so I always wanted to do some kind of a darkroom thriller. And so um, kind of marrying those two elements. And also I shot a lot of outdoor shows in, um, uh, you know, earlier on in my career. I traveled all over, uh, up and down the West Coast of uh, British Columbia, up to Haida Gwaii, all around Vancouver Island to very secluded, very isolated places. And uh, just the types of characters you meet in those places were very interesting. Some of them seemed like they belonged there. They were born, you know, to be there. And some people felt like they were kind of running away. And so it was interesting to me to explore that world, explore that character, those characters uh, a little more. And again, kind of marrying these ideas. And when I look back now, it feels, you know, very self-indulgent because it's just the kind of movie that I would want to see. <laughs> it's the kind of movie that I made. Um, a lot of my favorite elements kind of rolled in there. So that's where it comes from. Okay, so then, how did you get, or how, like, Richard Harmon, how does he fit in? Pretend he's not here. Talk about him as if he's not here. Gladly. How did he fit in? Why did you want him? When did he come on your radar? Tell me everything. Sure. Well, I have to say, um, because otherwise she'll kill me, my wife was the one that turned my me wife. on to, uh, to Richard. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'd been writing, I started writing about uh, six years ago. Uh, so I was writing for um, maybe three years before I really started thinking about casting. Um, and uh, at the time, you know, I was uh, making some changes to the script. I actually made the character younger than he had been previously. Um, and all of a sudden I had kind of no idea um, who to, to look at for casting. So I was asking some friends. I'm looking, you know, online, looking at uh, shows and films that I like. And in the meantime, uh, my wife is binging uh, The 100. And I'm kind of watching it out of the corner of my eye, uh, you know, even as I'm writing. And uh, she says, you have to look at this guy, uh, Richard. And so um, I'm, I'm watching and I'm looking at more his his material. And I'm like, oh, this is really interesting because it's, you know, I, I was not really familiar with his work. Yet he seemed to kind of, in a way, embody this character that I was writing or having these qualities that I could see him kind of sliding into this role. Um, and just the the intensity uh, of his performances and uh, and then, you know, sending in the material, meeting with him, we just really saw eye to eye on uh, how the character would kind of be portrayed, how he would look, how he would talk, how he would walk. And uh, it was just uh, a real 
meeting of the minds. I realized, you know, I didn't have somebody I was going to have to convince. I had uh, somebody who I could really collaborate with and who wanted to collaborate with me. So that was a, a beautiful meeting. That's amazing to me to hear because watching this, I just assumed that like this was written for Richard. Like I can't even <laughs> imagine anybody else in that role. So. I actually wrote the role of Sparky. I wrote for Phil Granger from yeah, day one. But cool. for for Jake, I did not know who was going to play that role. Uh, so yeah, it was much later in the game. Wow. I mean, You're I've already. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Richard Harmon, let's get you yes. speaking. Um, what was it about Jake and about Woodland that made you be like, I want to be part of this? I want to. I've already spent many seasons playing around in the trees and the dirt and the yeah. rain on the hundred. I'm gonna go and do it with even less people, you know, and probably be outside even more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think the first time I read the script, I didn't understand it. Awesome. And that made me want to at least know more. And was like, but wait, what do you mean? What happened? That's so me watching to, it. <laughs> yeah, I knew I knew I had to I knew I had to go talk to John more and kind of figure out more about it. As far as Jake's concerned, I saw this character that was just so like I keep saying it in, in every interview, it's sort of like he was a person who's allergic to life. And just sort of rejects life at every turn and makes all these horrible, horrible decisions. But kind of sometimes it's purposeful. Sometimes he just stumbles into making the wrong decision. And I think we all know people like that. And it's it's tragic. Um, wounded people. Wounded people, for sure. Yeah. And I just thought it was a great challenge to try to, to bring someone like that to life who just so openly rejects life which is you know the thing that most of us you know glom onto and, and are attracted to is life he just sort of pushes it away and i thought that was a great challenge and it, and it was wow okay we need to put some respect on philip granger's name as well <laughs> that's my man please do <laughs> um i mean i could see why you wanted phil for sparky uh i think what gets me though is that chemistry between phil and richard like like let's start with you richard because i gave I, I gave john two in a row what was it to have uh what was it like to have phil as a scene partner you know what did he bring to to his scenes i don't think i've ever been closer to a scene partner in my life by the by the end of the movie just the amount of stuff that we had to do together I mean, the movie really does kind of lie on our shoulders together. Um, and Phil and I had never worked together before. Uh, but as soon as we did, like from the get-go, you could just tell how much he cared and how much I cared about it. Um, so when you have two people who care quite a great deal about what they're trying to make, I think it's a lot easier to work together. But man, we we just gave it everything together. And that's that's my big brother. I have nothing but respect for that man. He's such an incredible actor and such a giving actor. And the kind of genuineness that he brings to Sparky and just such a pleasant character who is flawed in his own way, but kind of fights through his flaws to bring this kind of this joyous sort of overtone to the movie. Uh, that he was able to pull off that is the only reason that I was able to go 
the opposite direction with my character and have it work. So mm. Phil, Phil is everything to the movie. I've said that from the beginning. John, was there a moment when you were watching um, Richard? I'm at a moment like, Richard Jake. Sparky <laughs> <laughs> Phil, like, who oh, am I talking about? Many times. When you were watching these guys, you know, like, yeah. just act and do their thing, splaying it all over the the scene and you're like oh, like t- like talk to me about that moment you know when you're like oh my god we got this casting right absolutely i mean those moments uh, that's that's what you live for i think as a filmmaker especially as a writer director when you're you've kind of spent all this time on your own kind of building this world and building these characters and you're you're hearing all the dialogue in, in your own voice and then all of a sudden you're hearing uh, you know, the professionals really embody these characters. And it's like, it really is like your dream kind of coming true. And it's so surreal. Um, and then to hear just that extra level that they would bring to it. I mean, I, I they had never worked together. And I don't know if they had even formally met when we yeah. had our, yeah, when we had our first uh, kind of table read, um, they had both been cast. Uh, and it was just immediately you could feel the chemistry building and and that energy as they kind of started to find their 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 spaces and their dynamic and how they would as Richard said kind of push each other in the opposite uh, directions. Um, it's it's just that cliched thing, the goosebumps, the hair hair standing up. It, it was just more and more uh, the feeling that uh, yeah we had put the the right uh, pair together and that they were really finding those voices. And I was just from there so excited to get them in costume and get them out into the woods and see uh, see how that would go. And I, and I also have to say, you know, with Phil's performance, you know, he, he is, he has, has such a warm presence, but he also plays Sparky with such a kind of a quiet eccentricity mm-hmm. that I feel like um, for me, it wasn't until I was editing the film that I started to feel that his character had this whole other dimension that I didn't even <laughs> maybe realize consciously yeah. while we were filming that he was he was giving off these very kind of ambiguous vibes where from scene to scene I ha- I kind of felt differently about him where I would this guy so lovable and then the next scene I'd say wait a second this guy is he's got some ulterior motives and uh, you know he, there's something like going that. on you had moments first time Wonderful. I watched it I was like I was waiting for the turn like I was waiting like uh, is he gonna turn like is he for real because there's like definitely some something in his eyes yeah you gotta work a wait for, for, for those listening you gotta watch to find out you absolutely do okay there's a question that comes up in like the first third of the film i think and i want to ask you both your thoughts on it um if you saw something that was hard to explain would you tell others or would you keep it to yourself I mean, because, you know, Jake makes a decision. I think you should just keep that to yourself. (laughs) You do think that. You do think that. No, I don't think I think that. I think if you, I think you should probably uh, air that out to someone, at least in my personal opinion. I think so. Or else you'll go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think the whole movie is that we can't do this life alone. I think that's kind of some, one of the points of it, at least to me. So you got to lean on people. So yeah, if you, if you experience something that is, you know, quite out there, I would say you should probably use the people around you and lean on them to kind of help understand it. Yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, I've been wrestling with this, you know. And if I ever, like, for instance, encounter an extraterrestrial, you know, on one of my walks to Kitsilano or, you know, like a werewolf just shows up and then disappears from my kitchen, I I will have to consider that. Uh, what, do you, what do you think, John? Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends. I think uh, we've all had moments where our, our senses have kind of tricked us. Um, if you've been really tired or, you know, you've, you've been through some, some heavy times like people have recently, or, or maybe you're on some substances, um, that, uh, that you may or may not should be on. Um, mm. yeah, you, you might, um, you might find there, you do see something that you can't explain and it doesn't always feel like, uh, you can explain that properly to somebody else and, and, you know, you're worried about maybe what they think, what they're going to think about you, how they're going to judge you. So um, I think about it like that, too. It's a bit of a struggle for him where he wants in that scene, you know, Jake wants uh, more insight. He wants kind of somebody to to say, you know, you're not crazy, um, but he doesn't quite get that. Yeah. <laughs> and as has already been mentioned please watch this film and then you can you can make your own decisions and then tweet at us um you mentioned spooky happenings and you know i want to hear more about the experience of filming and did anything spooky unexplainable happen while you were i mean it was uh, in my mind you're all kind of like having like a parallel experience you know maybe with a few more people but to what jake and sparky are happening right so did anything happen over the course of filming that was spooky john (laughs) (laughs) uh i heard you you answer this question well the other day Oh, thank you. Well, I don't want to repeat myself. But, I didn't hear uh, this one. Ten, ten. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I often find that art imitates life and the other way around. I think uh, we really put ourselves in kind of the same position the characters were in in the film. We, we took our cast and crew up to the northern tip of Vancouver Island, which is uh, pretty rugged and not as populated as, say, Vancouver or uh, you know, Victoria is at the, the southern tip of the island. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we were going back in time, as you said, the, the film is set in the late eighties and we were stripping away, you know, technology, we were stripping away, uh, you know, news of current events and even to some extent our family and friends. And we were on this kind of isolated, uh, road show and, uh, you know, we weren't, uh, living at the lodge, uh, physically <laughs> where we shot the film, but we were very close. Uh, we, we were all holed up in a, in a hotel together. We kind of had our own floor, a bit of a dorm uh, situation. Uh, but yeah, I found that there were lots of moments that very much paralleled, uh, moments in the film and characters, especially, um, that we have in the film, you know, Sparky's character, uh, or, or Phil's character, Sparky is kind of a composite of a lot of different people and and we met some of these people i mean our location manager uh randy wilson was very much uh you know sparky through and through and phil really saw that and ended up actually trading some uh, some wardrobe with randy and ended up wearing half his clothes through the whole film oh, so when wow. you see phil and he's got the plaid the different uh, layers of plaid and uh things like that he's actually wearing our location manager's uh, clothes um also the uh the owner of the lodge um he didn't really know the context of the story so he would come and go and he'd be kind of like, oh, this is weird. 
Um, but then as he would start to understand, you know, what we were filming and some of these moments where, you know, there's a storm rolling in that causes some damage to the lodge and, you know, these exact same things had, had happened to him. Um, and even, um, you know, Richard's character of Jake, his circumstances of kind of running away from it all, uh, to kind of escape to this place where his demons really follow him there. Um, you know, the lodge owner had seen this and he had actually, you know, had a young guy working for him in recent years that, you know, ha ha came from very similar circumstances. And, uh, you know, his, his story was was pretty similar. And uh, it was very eerie to us that it just, to me, it was, it was eerie, but it was also reminders that we were telling, you know, an authentic story. We were really featuring these authentic characters and, and telling something very truthful. Um, we just had one little sign after another. So no ghost stories, but uh, a lot of little little coincidences. That's still very spooky. Um, <laughs> this is, question really is for both of you. What kind of, of challenges did you face? Uh, or, yeah, what kind of challenges did you encounter on this project? You know, either over the course of filming, you know, or... <laughs> in the extensive uh, and and giant land of post-production? First and foremost, it was cold. <laughs> it was cold out there. That's, uh, that's my takeaway. It was very cold. That's the one I remember. <laughs> what kind of cold? Like, was, it was like... very chilly. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, it was cold. Now, did that help or hinder that kind of I think challenge? It helped in like the performance in a way. Um, another problem for me is that I'm not good at hand rolling cigarettes, which apparently I had to do a lot of in the movie. So mm. we just had one of our crew members just like pre-roll hundreds of cigarettes for me that I could just finish rolling. So that's another challenge. But that was more of a challenge for someone else, not me. <sighs> I thought you were so good at that naturally. I guess that's just <laughs> yeah, the magic no, of. Not. I gotta say, smoking is bad. I, I, bad, bad smoking. However, you make it look cool. And I did have I a moment it, like, I make it look damn good. <laughs> you look damn good. I'm like, man, I kind of want to see like, right I'm like now. Joe Camel as a person. I <laughs> <laughs> remember him. Smoking is bad, everybody. Be, be cool, kid. <laughs> Obviously, uh, I, I echo the sentiment. Smoking is bad. Yeah, kids, don't do it. Yeah, it's all. It's all. I mean, it's it's movie magic. It's filmmaking. Um, filmmaking. That's make it. It makes it cool. And plus, they're way too expensive these days, anyway. So you don't yeah. want you don't want to start smoking. It's an awfully expensive habit. Also, we're in a pandemic that attacks your respiratory system. Not the best time. Hadn't heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, John? <laughs> Challenges uh, uh, faced and overcome. Well, speaking of the, yeah, overcoming, I, I just have to say again for for Richard, I'm just looking back at a, a post I made, which is largely factual, I think, um, when we got back from filming, where um, I felt like not only did Richard turn in this amazing performance, but I feel like he was forced to learn. Um, how to how to shoot um, you know with an old film camera how to develop the film himself how to develop the prints himself um, how to shoot with a, a World War One rifle um, you know how to fish how to chop uh, wood with an axe how to um, you know build a shed or at least repair a shed um, how to roll cigarettes and he also lost 
uh, over 15 pounds what? for the role. Um, I did do that. I forgot about that. So I watched, I watched him, uh, you know, turn into the character <laughs> as he lost this weight. Really and I was very concerned about him. Yeah. And, and I also watched him become a man through all these uh, amazing <laughs> skills that he... he... Oh, man, I stood up straighter and pound my chest. Um, one, I mean, the cool thing is that Richard now has all these special skills for his resume. But on the resume, yeah, absolutely. And at if you least... asked me to develop a role of film right now, I couldn't do it for you. But all <laughs> As soon as I finish shooting anything, everything goes out the window. Yeah, but 50% of those skills that you learned, you can use on your Animal Crossing island. Huh? You can. There you go. There you go. My island is gorgeous. <laughs> I want to see it. Okay, we'll exchange Jonah um, comes. Back yeah. to uh, the challenges, though. I, I, have to, uh, I have to be open about, uh, you know, no film is, is, is a film without challenges but uh, particularly for for myself i broke my ankle while we were shooting <gasps> no uh, and uh it wasn't intentional <laughs> but uh it happened on day four uh of the shoot first thing in the morning and um it was uh nobody's fault but my own but are you uh, sure it wasn't a spooky thing that we were talking about before <laughs> i mean that in itself is quite spooky well, I don't want to think that the spirits were were after me by any means, but uh, no, I would say it was my own my own enthusiasm and recklessness. Um, had a little slip, and ended up shooting most of the film on crutches, which was a really odd and uh, interesting experience. I had never really had a serious like injury before, you know, when I was a kid. So it it was uh, it was pretty shocking, but I had so much adrenaline in my system. And, you know, we're up there with the whole team and, you know, I'm self-funding this film in part and there, you know, there's, there's nowhere to go. And so, you know, my producer, my uh, executive producer partner, Andy Hodgson, he comes up to me immediately and says, we have to get you to hospital. I know I'm in Port McNeil and there's literally no hospital in Port McNeil and there's no uh, radiology even in uh, Port Hardy because they only do that on certain days of the week. So all I can think about is what that next shot is going to be and, and how to set it up and what lens needs to be on there. And so I just started directing by walkie-talkie uh, until I could get closer uh, to the kind of the, uh, the camera. And uh, from then on, it was a bit of an adaptation um, for, for the shoot. I find I run around set a lot, and obviously I wasn't able to do that. So I think it forced me to direct in a different way. Uh, and you just, that's what filmmaking is all about. You got to adapt and, uh, silver linings and wow. Silver I wasn't expecting you just got to sit on a chair the entire time, <laughs> <laughs> which only made him more of a tyrant. <laughs> hey, Dickie, you were becoming yeah. a man. Didn't you hear? That's what John was uh, yeah, saying. I hadn't, I had, I had missed the part where I was becoming a man. <laughs> Um, at one point, actually at a few points, when Sparky is talking to a flirty higher up in Alaska over the radio, um, that voice oh, sounds God. familiar. What? Sounds like one of the voices of one of my best friends. Um, okay, so it's your, it's your boy. You've got a man tapping, which is like Absolutely. such a beautiful little Easter egg there. Such a gift. Okay, so tell me about this gift. Why did you want this gift? And uh, what did this gift do for the film? 
<laughs> well, it's uh, it brought a lot of credibility uh, and a lot of pressure because we knew we, we would have to live up to to the legend of Amanda Tapping. Um, I had worked with Amanda during uh, Crazy Eights, uh, the uh, film competition here in Vancouver a couple years prior. And uh, I just had this amazing experience working with her and I just found her to be just the warmest presence. And when, uh, you know, we're looking to, to cast this role, um, which is uh, a voice only role, which is essentially Sparky's only lifeline, really, uh, to, to the civilized world or to the rest of the world, um, which is Donna, who's kind of his, uh, his go-to uh, at the headquarters for the Lodge uh, kind of operations company in Alaska. And uh, I just thought, you know, somebody who can, who can match that warmth that, that Phil brings uh, and, uh, and when I approached her about it, I, I wasn't necessarily even expecting her to, to read the script, but she read it all. She loved it. She got it. She thought the relationship, uh, with Sparky was just so adorable and she, she really wanted to, you know, play with that. And so just, uh, she wasn't on set, but I had an amazing uh, experience with her in the studio. Um, you know, I had a little back and forth where I was playing Sparky at times and a little bit of uh, kind of dialogue there to, to improvise some stuff. And, oh, uh, that's great. I just love love what she brings brings to it and has that, uh, you know, that little kind of uh, shimmer of hope for Sparky yeah. outside of Man, the shelter. Man, Sparky doesn't know, who, like, what she looks like. Like, imagine you're talking to somebody, you don't know what they look like, and it's Amanda Tapping. And it's Amanda Tapping. <laughs> yeah. Things could be worse, that's for sure. Yeah, well, Jake <laughs> did not, like, he did not put respect on Donna's name. He didn't name. put respect on Donna's name. Mm -mm. So, how do you think the process of making Woodland has changed you at all as artists? Who wants oh. to take this fest? an interesting question i try to have at Go least ahead. one you know yeah that's that's tricky I'm trying to think about it john if you have an answer you can jump in i'm trying to think about mine well we put hair on your chest i think that's the place to start <laughs> that's good yeah <laughs> man obviously we've already discussed yeah, <laughs> man. um um, I mean, I think I think making the film, making any film, is such an evolution. Uh, you know, it's not to me. It's like you don't have a blueprint and then you execute that blueprint and you go home. It's such a collaboration. It's such a team sport, and things are constantly changing. And hopefully for the better. And in this case, you know, it was a great collaboration uh, between everybody, and and especially with uh, with Richard and Phil. And there were so many times where we would we would change little nuances in lines or in the blocking and um, and it was it was all to find more authenticity um, and so that was so rewarding and to just always be like digging further for that more truthful moment or oh I feel like he would you know this character would say this a bit more like this and now that we're there and we're we're very much living the the scene uh, and living the story um, it, it was always um, it was always easy to, to spot what was more truthful, what was more authentic, and what was the right thing to do. So, I mean, that whole experience um, of it was was amazing. And, uh, you know, just making the film is my first feature. It's something I've been wanting to do for a long time. Um, so just, uh, it, was, it was a grind, but intensely rewarding also. And it just made me want to make more films. I yes. think uh, I had a lot of people 
when I got back, you know, especially I got my foot in a cast up on my couch and I'm editing and people think, oh, you probably don't ever want to shoot, see a camera again. And it was just the opposite. I felt uh, just uh, fired up. I wanted to make another film right away. So, uh, yeah, it reminded me of this is this is what I'm meant to do. So it was a good thing. That's a great answer. How about you, Richard? Yeah, I can't top that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think it was more so not even just you know how it changes you but kind of what i what you kind of leave with mm. i think is after you have that camaraderie i mean like like john said earlier we were li- really living the movie being out there and you didn't have a lot it was pretty tough out there under the circumstances and the weather you were kind of subject to whatever the weather was doing that day um small crew just kind of slugging it out for just the love of what we were doing um, so yeah, which I, which I've seen before and it can happen. And that's when film really is beautiful to do is when you're going to get like-minded people together who just want to do this thing properly. Uh, so yeah, I don't know how much it changed me. It was more so just kind of taking that with you and always kind of carrying that as you move forward mm-hmm. and sort of, it's just another benchmark of, you know, when you do things properly, this is what it feels like. And it's good to take that with you. Yeah. That was a good answer too, Richard. You done you. good. You done <laughs> good. Okay, so if somebody has listened to this episode and they're like and they this is exactly what is happening. They've listened, they're like, I need to watch this right now. Where do they go? <clears throat> Rent what it do on they everything. Do? It's on everything. So it's, it's on, on iTunes. Literally everything in okay. North America. Yeah, we, for context, again, we're in the middle of a pandemic and uh, people are watching movies at home. Theaters are mostly not showing movies right now. So <laughs> we are lucky to be out on almost every platform uh, that exists within North America. So if you uh, you can check us out on iTunes, certainly, or Apple TV. If you want to go to woodlandmovie.com, we've got all the platforms laid out. You can just click a button, whatever works for you. But yeah, we're on Amazon, uh, YouTube, uh, we're on uh, Xbox, PlayStation, Fandango. Um, we're also on cable and satellite on demand, on uh, DirecTV and, and Dish uh, throughout North America. Amazing. So uh, pretty much anywhere you look, you can find our film. So please uh, that's amazing. go check it out. Considering this is a film that's really, you know, that takes place in a world where it's a lot more analog, you know, you're really embracing the digital, the digital <laughs> of the 21st we're, century. We're changing with the times. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. And we will have links to all of that in the footnotes for this episode. Richard Harmon. Yeah. John Silverberg. It has been an honor and a pleasure. How can people find you, follow you, celebrate you, send you questions and kudos and kvetches uh, on the social media? Just just give me a thought of, you know, think about me and I'll I'll, I'll be there. Simple as that. (laughs) Sort of like an I dream of genie situation. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Also, Uh, if you want to, Richard S. Harmon on both Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for answering my question. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Happy. Never, if, never. If you happy. think of me, I'll try to be there, but I've got a two-year-old, so i got a lot of responsibilities. <laughs> you got, you got things going. <laughs> but you can find me and follow me on social media. It's just John Silverberg, J-O-N Silver, B-E-R-G, on both Instagram, 
uh, and Twitter. And, uh, and again, uh, you can uh, check us out at uh, woodlandmovie.com. We've got all the platforms where you can rent the film. And please uh, do give us a review and a rating uh, wherever you check it out. And on IMDb. Only if it's positive. Mainly if it's positive. Uh, we need all the, all the love we can get to help uh, get our film trending higher and all those problems. So. Ah, we love that. And um, frankly, I'm about to say the exact same thing. Thank you to our listeners. Please like and subscribe and leave us a review. Five stars, no less. Uh, you can find us at www.ybrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at ybrscreenscene. The YBR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Furminger. I'm the only one to blame. Woo! And it's edited by Simon Furminger. Uh, thank you for that woo, by the way. I'm probably going You're to welcome. use that again in all future <laughs> outros. Continue. I can't use the sound Special thanks to Mariana Furminger. I can't pronounce my own last name. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad and to Tyson Braddock and Paul Furminger for technical support. (laughs) 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 And to Dane Devalet for the original music. Woo! Why Bear Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! There's a reason I've conducted dozens of interviews with Vancouver film and television stars at Neverland Tea Salon. Because it feels like home. Well, not my actual home, but the home of my dreams. A place that's cozy and whimsical, where the music isn't too loud, the staff feels like old friends, and the menu is straight out of, well, Neverland. It's a home away from home for me. The team at Neverland Tea Salon has poured immense thought and love into every corner of their Kitsilano oasis. From the expansive selection of teas to the teacups suspended from the ceiling, they have a delicious and constantly changing menu of gluten-free, dairy-free, vegetarian and vegan options. Not to mention options packed with gluten and dairy too, and an adorable tea service for the little ones featuring fun treats like mini pizzas, bites of cookie dough and lots and lots of sprinkles. And for the grown-ups, there is a long, long list of tipsy teas for you to choose from. FYI, I usually order the gluten-free, dairy-free tea with Peter's Promise as my hot tea and a flute of bubbly. My favorite thing, and it's happened more than once, is after I've interviewed a local star at Neverland during the week. I pass by on the weekend and there that star is again, enjoying a high tea service in the window. Neverland is one of my favorite places on this planet. So if you live in the Lower Mainland or are planning a trip to Vancouver, well, as Peter Pan says, would you like to have your adventure now? Or would you like to have your tea first? Plan a tea adventure of your own at NeverlandTeaSalon.com. That's NeverlandTeaSalon.com.